Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. My guest today is Anne Voorhees Baker, who is a, what I would call a Renaissance woman who is firing on all cylinders, which is kind of a mixing of the metaphors, I think. Yeah. Uh, you were an environmental attorney, a magazine editor, and you are an expert in PR and social media marketing and the founder of Women at Woodstock, which is a retreat for women 50 and older, Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. You are the definition of a woman who has recreated herself many times over. Do you see yourself that way? Um, yes, I do. And depending on who's listening to me or talking with me, it can be a flattering thing or not. Because <laughs> with so many changes that I've made, and I have made quite a few, even a few more than what you listed. Um, you know, one could say that uh, either I'm adapting and changing as life goes on, or I'm just spinning in circles and not going anywhere. But, but I do. Um, I have made many changes based on new circumstances in my life, based on really looking at what am I doing and why, and am I enjoying it at all? Um, so. Yeah, I I guess I, you know I kind of had a lot. I have life ADD. I just <laughs> I do something for a while and then I I might continue it in a different form, but I I do tend to get distracted and I run after the next shiny thing. And um, I do work very hard, so I usually make a success out of it. But I am definitely not someone who's like started at the bottom of a corporation and risen up to CEO. That that would have never happened in my life. It's just not not my steady way. Right. And do you have certain criteria in your, you know, that you kind of keep in the, the back of your mind for when is it time to make a change? Do you ask yourself particular questions? I really don't. Um, I would say it's sort of my happiness slash unhappiness meter that, that starts to rise that makes me perhaps start to question what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. But no, I don't have any kind of timetable whatsoever. It's mm -hmm. much more free-flowing than that and much more based on how am I feeling and how, how excited am I when I wake up in the morning about the work that I'm going to do that day. And most of the time, I'm very excited about the work I'm going to do that day and I try to keep my life on that level as best I can. So you're talking about, of course, the one of the golden nuggets of, of the aging research, which is staying curious and engaged. It sounds like that's that's kind of a, a principle, a, a primary driver for you. It is. I I um I like new things coming along. I'm not one to say, gee, I wish for the good old days. Um, and I, I will get into debates with people about why do they say that and what was so great then and what's so terrible now? Because so many things have gotten better as, as I've lived anyway, in terms of social justice and opportunities for people of all ages, races, creeds and genders and orientations. And um, also in terms of technology and 
God, there, you know, you spend so much less time on repetitive, tedious tasks than you used to have to do, and so much more time learning new things or being with people or whatever it is that, you know, floats your boat. Um, I'm all for new stuff. I just, I just think it's fascinating what keeps happening in life. And, uh, I guess I tend to embrace new stuff rather than, than resist it. Mm -hmm. You must have at some level, some confidence that you can figure it out, which isn't true for, for all of us. Well, you know, that's true. And there are things I can't figure out. Um, I am the worst person at, at planning meals for a week of anyone I know. And thank God my <laughs> husband likes to cook because otherwise we'd have cheese crackers and wine every night. Probably. <laughs> I just, I don't understand how you come up with the creative solution to what's for dinner. But, um, I, I have always been a very techie person for one thing. So, you know, I was taking computer programming back in college in the days when the computer was a brick building on campus. Mm, and you know mm. what, you went to a, I want to call it a teletype room. That's probably wrong, but a big room with these type heavy electronic typewriters that punch the, the, Oh, those cards. cards. That's yeah. Right. And then you take your box of cards down to the computer. And, oh, right. I mean, way back when. And so when the first personal computer came out, I ran out and bought a Panasonic senior partner with a dual disk drive, A and B floppy disk drives. And oh, yes. <laughs> I, I was, I was right on top of it. I love that stuff. And I understand some people don't like that and they, they don't want to learn it and it's a pain for them. It's not fun for them. It's not right. that they can't, they just really don't enjoy it. So everybody has his or her strength and weakness. Um, I just happen to concentrate on all the stuff that I think is fun and that I tend to have some kind of skill doing and run away from and ignore all the rest that works for me. Do you consider yourself an adventurer? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty much a homebody. I do travel at times, for example. Um, I, I try new, I guess I try new things of the mind more than, uh, you know, I have no interest in parasailing or hiking to the highest peak or any of those kinds of things. What most people would call adventure. I'd rather, um, you know, swim in a beautiful lake than learn how to, uh, then, uh, go whitewater rafting, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, in my own way I am. Yes. But most people would probably not call me that. Mm -hmm. What's your idea of a lovely day? Oh, I shouldn't tell you. It's a terrible answer. <laughs> ah, well, we're all about vulnerability and honesty here. So I think that I think our listeners would really appreciate you sharing some of that. Okay, well, I will tell you and I get criticized for it a lot by certain people. And it is also why I started Women at Woodstock in a way and why I think Women at Woodstock has been such a wonderful experience. And so my answer, what is a beautiful day to me? It's a day in absolute solitude, writing and working on creative endeavors, whether it's writing mm -hmm. fiction, which I've been doing a lot of lately, or, you know, creating my, a new website for a client or for women at Woodstock, so I do web design. 
I love that. And for that reason, um, actually when I moved, uh, I moved to where I live now in Southern California about 10 years ago. This is where I grew up, but I was back east for 30 years. And I, when I came back, being a solopreneur and a writer um, and a web designer, I spent my days alone. Mm-hmm. And I found that I didn't really find a posse of friends here. You know, I was 52 when I moved here and, uh, you know, not going to an office, not a mom with kids in school. And I was essentially isolated and, you know, that wasn't good. Um, but because I'm, I guess, a classic introvert who, you know, enjoys spending time alone, I, I hate networking events mm. and the mm-hmm. usual kind of conference where it's 1,500 people and multiple rooms and stages with the presenters that you never get to know or talk to. Mm-hmm. So none of that appealed to me. So um, I have clients from all over the country, mostly women over 50, who, all of whom are kind of friends of mine as we've gotten to know each other. And I started to think, you know, I would really enjoy having a gathering with all those people. Those are the kinds of people. (laughs) Those are my people. Those are my people, my peeps. Mm -hmm. And I started mentioning my idea to them and they all were so enthusiastic and said, oh my God, you should do that. So... I did. I just decided I will pick the perfect place, which was Woodstock, New York, an iconic location. Mm-hmm. The perfect time of year for me anyway, which is the fall. So beautiful. And I'll build my own website with the kind of flavor of the event that I envision for my gathering. And I'll just see if I attract people, kind of that field of dreams kind of thing. And I think the way I went about it wasn't flashy. It wasn't, uh, there was no advertising budget. I tended to attract people like me mm-hmm. who they're social, they're sociable. Um, they're very interested in life and in making the best out of their lives and pursuing their own dreams. Um, but they're not, you know, the aggressive, uh, networking type personality that you do find it some conference types of events. And when we come together, it's it, so often I've heard women say, I finally feel as though I've found my group of friends. Oh, my goodness. And it's not that they don't have any friends at home. It's just that they don't have a place where they feel like, ah, I've slipped into my place here and it feels it fits just right. And you know, I'm sure, again, I'm going to, you know, bring bring it back to the aging research you know, the Harvard study of adult development and all these studies, they say, number one is being in your tribe. Uh, loneliness yeah. is akin to smoking. When mm-hmm. you're with your people or your, you know, your posse or whatever, it has health benefits that we don't even really fully understand yet. It really does. It really does. And I know there's some amazing statistics on that. And Suzanne Brown-Levine writes about it in some of the books she's written over the past five years about um, friendships among women and the importance of having good friends. Um, and um, people, I, I just think people don't really realize that. And it's to me, it's not necessarily 
getting together with your chums and going out to lunch and going shopping or any of those kinds of things. It can be friendships that are maintained through technology that that exist and have bonds across the width of the country. And that's that's what I like about the Women at Woodstock event too, is that we we do gather one weekend out of the year and it's a phenomenal um, experience for everyone. But friendships that come out of that last all year long and women keep in touch. They call each other, they write to each other, mm. um, they follow each other on Facebook and it's it's an actual friendship thing, not just, you know, another Facebook number. And I think it's very beneficial to mental health, to physical health. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, not exactly the same as if you're literally in the presence of other people in the flesh, but it's very beneficial. Really and I is. love, I love that there's so many levels that I'm, you know, I want to ask you more about. But, you know, what strikes me just just first off is that you wanted something. It didn't exist and you made it. And it had a lot of parts. I mean, you had to do the tech, you did the website, I'm sure. And I think I yep. read this, you had to do the logistics and, you know, and the meals and the and all of that stuff. And you just said, um, you know, the conferences aren't doing it for me. This is what I love. It's not available. So I'm going to make it. Yeah, it's what I tend to do. I, I fly by the seat of my pants a lot. <laughs> it's what I did when I, I published a parenting mag, or actually two parenting magazines for about 15 years, years ago. And I had a background in publishing, um, through school, through being editor of my of a magazine at UCLA, and um, doing copy editing for some of the publishing houses in New York City when I lived there, but I, you know, I didn't really have any training to literally start and run a ma- the whole business of a magazine. Um, but I just decided I we needed a magazine like that in the city where I was living. There was no resource for parents, so I was going to do it, and I figured I could figure it out. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't recommend that for, <laughs> for <laughs> most people <laughs> because, uh, you know, you load yourself with a lot of work when you do fly by the seat of your pants. And sometimes it works out, sometimes not so well. Um, but that that is my, uh, that's my bent, I guess. And luckily with women at Woodstock, it just worked. I mean, I guess I had run a business uh, for enough years um, and had enough tech knowledge that I was able to handle all the moving parts and keep them organized. And it worked out really well. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't on a grand scale. I wasn't trying to attract a thousand people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I it, it is uh, a very intimate event and so although it still is a lot of work uh i think i i envisioned it on a scale that was manageable for even a rube like me to pull (laughs) off the first year we talked a little bit um in the beginning um when uh, we talk privately that there's new things happening for women at Woodstock and we didn't we haven't really described I think uh, properly what women at Woodstock is about can you take a minute and and talk a little bit about that and then what uh, what new changes and new developments are going on 
Yeah. Um, well, Women at Woodstock is it's actually two things. First, we have a workshop weekend that is for women over 50. And when I say over 50, that's with, you know, kind of a, a tilde in front of it. It's 50 or so. We mm-hmm. have had women come who are in their early 30s, depending on what we're doing and what, if it interests them. And some have come back several years and, you know, they're way younger than most of us, but it's, it's wonderful. But it's, you know, the topics that we cover tend to be things that women over 50 are interested in. And they range all over, all over the place. It's not about aging and being older, you know, your finances and your health. And it's, it's about all kinds of stuff, running businesses, learning new tech, uh, healing relationships that have been um, in trouble for years in your life, and on and on and on. Uh, but just, you know, it's at a pace that, that suits everyone. There's lots of downtime, um, lots of time to have private conversations and get to know one another, to take walks in the woods and mm-hmm. um, gather at sunset for wine and cheese and conversation. And um, it's It's meant to be a place to... Yeah, where women can learn about new things, where women can make new friends, and where they can kind of, or they can be themselves and state out in the open maybe some dreams or goals that they've held inside for a very long time that aren't either acceptable or believed in in their day-to-day life. Mm. And when they come to Women at Woodstock, if they want to talk about you know, I always wanted to be a writer or I always wanted to start an organization like such and such. People will talk about it. They're willing to believe in it. They're willing to help if they can. So there's a real, it sounds like the environment is really accepting and, um, and just very comfortable. It is. And, and we do acknowledge, I mean, it's meant to acknowledge, I think, without saying in words that all of us having been born and raised in the 50s or so have inhibitions and restrictions um, and late starts and all kinds of things due to our being women and being raised at a time that was not very enlightened at all and even though sure it's 2018 and so many things have changed there's stuff inside of us that's still kind of closed off and tied up that could be could be freed and loosened up. Um, so it's a place to be more self-reflective and to have more feedback and sounding boards than you might get at a normal gathering. So that's the, the Women at Woodstock workshop weekend. And then right after that ends, then we have a week-long writer's retreats, retreat, rather, for women of any age who are or want to be writers and that has two different tracks one for women who are already working on something that they have in progress and one for women who may or may not already be writing something but they'd rather have a more intensive workshop daily workshop experience with writing prompts and shared readings and feedback from the group Mm -hmm. Um, and so that goes monday through um friday and uh, they're both at Lifebridge, Lifebridge Sanctuary in Rosendale, which is outside Woodstock, New York. 
and we have the place to ourselves. We have a lodge and a huge spread of property. It's very isolated. We have yeah. a caterer who cooks all our meals for us. And oh my other than goodness. that, there's no staff. So women have been known to hang out till three in the morning in the library or the, um, the little Cedar Heart Lodge that we have downstairs by the fire talking. And there's no one in the background to be kind of, you know, giving you the hairy eyeball because they would <laughs> like to close up and go, you know, go to bed. How did you find this location? Through some of the women who came to my event and who, who got to know me. I originally had it at more of a standard resort hotel type location that was gorgeous, but uh, it wasn't, we didn't have it all to ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and it was pricey also. So one of the women who lives in the area said, please let me drive you around to some other places. And we looked at two or three. It was mm -hmm. funny because the first, we, we looked at three in a row and I just, I got exhausted. It was the end of my event and I said, ah, none of them are anything near as good as where we've been. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to look at it anymore. And she said, please let me just show you this one last place. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to go. I literally fell asleep in the car while she was driving <laughs> me there. <laughs> and when we drove up the drive approaching it, I woke up and she went around the corner and uh, you know, into the property, and I just went, I turned to her and I said, oh my God, you know me. This oh, is wow. the perfect, I don't know what it is. I'm not a woo-woo person, but I, just if I clicked. were, I would, yeah, I would say this is like a spiritual vortex or something. Mm -hmm. It's just, the setting is so gorgeous with a fantastic view of um, the Cascades and trees all around and walking trails and and it's um it's environmentally friendly it's powered by solar panels oh my goodness and it's this old it was built on an original old farmhouse but completely i think almost dismantled and rebuilt everything is clean lines and mm. you know, everything's fitted together perfectly and just skylights and views out of every room and Oh my goodness! How uh, how is what a what a wonderful place to um, be able to really allow yourself to look inside. Exactly, it somehow the the proportions of the space, the fact that we have you know real wood burning fireplaces, not gas uh, hearths. Uh, it's so I don't know natural and earthy and spacious and well thought out it just makes you feel like you're in a good place just that's plain and simple and mm -hmm. um, yeah it fosters clear thought and an openness to thought you know thoughts and relationships it's just a great spot hmm. do you ever look back and say wow look what i made <laughs> or you know are you are, do you ever sort of uh, have a chance to to step out and 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 sort of observe what it's become? I try to. I I do. I'd say I do that more in a personal way because I've often said women at Woodstock has done more for me than I think I've done for anyone else by putting it on. I have met some of the most 
wonderful women. And I've gotten my own thinking turned around by just by the the fact that I've been able to express some of my own goals in life and I've had other women respond to what I've said and give me encouragement and inspiration and help. And mm. um, I mentioned when we were talking privately that I'm writing a lot of fiction now and I, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've never allowed myself the time to pursue. And I'm talking about writing, you know, fiction. Um, except for a period in, in college when I wrote three short stories and submitted them to the New Yorker, of course, just like every aspiring writer. And I got three rejections, but each came with a handwritten note giving me a little critique and saying they, they liked my work and please send more. Oh, wow. And I was so young, I had no idea about the publishing industry. And all I heard was three rejections, and so I gave up. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, many careers later, now I am... I really have started writing, and I just finished my first novel. Um, right after this last woman at Woodstock, I spent three days by myself and mm-hmm. finished what I've been working on for over a year, and it's with an editor now. Who knows what will come of it? Who knows Do you want to talk anyone? a little bit? Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about the novel and what it's about? At this point, no. Um, okay. To be honest, I, I feel like... Um, it's such a, a newborn baby. I I want to get some really critical eyes on it and mm-hmm. feel that it's going somewhere before I really talk about it. I don't know if that's a strange answer or not. No, that you don't want to. Yeah, it sounds like you're protective and you don't want to expose it to the world quite yet. Yeah, it's. I don't have my pitch down. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you don't. If you start talking about something you really care about. And you find yourself rambling on and on. You think, oh, I am I'm really doing a disservice to what I just worked so hard on. So mm-hmm. I'll just wait till I have it a little more, you know, polished up in my in my head. So but, that was a dream come true for you. Yes, that was a huge change for me. And I never allowed myself the time to pursue it because I always, quote, should be doing something else. And now I... Because of the women I've gotten to know and the words of encouragement and advice and things I've gotten, I now feel completely justified in taking some time out of my otherwise, you know, money-earning work to devote to this dream that I've always had. And it's, I can't tell you how happy it's made me. It's such a change in my life. And Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have happened without the women that I've gotten to know. And I think about avoiding the regrets later in life. You know, I can imagine if you didn't do that, that would have been a tremendous regret. It, it would. And even if my work never sees the light of day, um, well, I would be disappointed. I'll be honest with you, but, (laughs) but just writing what I have written has, and I've talked to other women writers. I'm now on a writing group regularly, and they talk about this too, that you, if you're writing something that you, a story you're passionate about, especially if it touches on things in your own life, which, you know, often novels really do, um, it's a healing process. It's, you're finally saying, 
in exactly the way you wanted to, the story you've always wanted to tell, just in the act of putting it on paper or into mm-hmm. electronic bits, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and um, it's such a healing process. I had no idea. It's so interesting. Oh, How my goodness, good I, I could see that. Yeah. Telling my story, even mm-hmm. though it's there's only one person reading it right now, and that's my editor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can totally see that. I mean, I just even think about in terms of my clinical work and people journaling and writing and how it really helps metabolize um, some uh, feelings and experiences that have been very complicated. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about our listeners and you've done so many different things and we talked about you pivoting quite a bit and changing and doing so many recalibrations. And I know that there's can be a tension between should I stick something out and be patient or should I quit this and try something new? Um, do you want to speak to that at all for people who are listening and saying, wow, you know, she's done so many things and I'm just not sure how to know when it's time to try something new. Hmm. Yeah, then that's a really uh, important thing because it's, you can, you can waffle for a lifetime, you know, and, and never do something new, or you can uh, make a lot of split-second decisions and never accomplish anything. So that's where right. do you find the, the right balance? Exactly. And, I'd say in most instances, instances the for me, usually it's been I just I'm driven to do uh, the next thing for different reasons. I mean, when I was practicing law um, in New York, I I lost my first baby. I had a thing called preterm labor where you go almost to term, but then you go into labor too early and too early for the baby to survive. Mm-hmm. And before that point, I had it all mapped out that I was going to, I was actually earning a master's in tax, master's of law in taxation at the time um, to move on from my current job to, to Wall Street and his name a nanny. And, you know, it was all going to be a perfect yuppie lifestyle. <laughs> when I lost that baby, oh my God, I just couldn't imagine having another baby and leaving that baby with a nanny. It just Mm. suddenly, it was not right for me. And I'm not saying it's not right for everybody, but for me, Mm -hmm. it was, I couldn't face it. So I left the law in order to have children. Um, So that was a passion thing. And I loved practicing law. So it wasn't like I said, oh, I never call myself a um, recovering attorney, the way people joke around. Yeah. Um, I, I love the practice of law. It's, uh, you know, a very important part of our society. But anyway, it was that drive that made me do that. But um, when, I, when I was publishing my parenting magazines, for example, I, I did publish for 15 years these magazines. And I kept going and kept going because I always felt excited about the next issue or, you know, the things that we knew we were going to cover in the upcoming year, the things we're going to concentrate on. And toward year 13 or so, I realized, you know, I don't think I can go through another round of articles on um, 
potty training your child. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I'm done with that. <laughs> and I realized mm-hmm. I was getting stale. Stale, yeah. Just like you, it, it's not, um, sounds like it just didn't bring you much. There was no spark left in that particular endeavor. Exactly. So I, I ended up selling the magazines to a new new publisher um, and went on and, you know, got more into back to the tech. I learned web design and, um, and did much more of my own writing and learned about um, social media. So I do, like I'm a ghost blog writer now for a couple of clients on two very different topics and I'm ghostwriting a book for an attorney on a topic of importance to women. So I just concentrated on those things that were more, less had to do with running a business and more had to do with creating one way or another. And um, so it was the staleness at that time that made that decision. And then um, after that, for me, it's mostly been interest and need that keeps causing me to change. And I I was doing public relations for a while uh, for a firm in New York, long distance from here. I was representing um, Sharp Electronic Solar Energy Division in the United States. Um, and I realized after a while, I, I just don't like this work. You're, when you're doing PR, you're essentially a fuller brush salesman. You're con- mm-hmm. constantly calling <laughs> journalists and writing to them with your pitch for a new story idea. And it's not nice. <laughs> um, unless you've been in it and you're really good at it and you have all these connections. It, mostly you're mm. just getting doors closed in your face. And um, that was that was one of those pivot points where I thought, I really wake up in the morning, I don't want to do this work. Mm-hmm. So I need to let it go and trust that I'll be able to build up more web design and writing. Um, and so that's what I did. And it, that was a leap of faith because that was a big chunk of my income I just walked away from. But it was a good decision. I keep hearing the self-awareness you have and about, wait a minute, this was working 12 years ago and it's no longer feeling right, that there's this checking in that happens. There is, and I, it is the way I look at things and I don't regret it. I do like making my decisions that way. I will say that for me anyway, maybe not for everyone, when you do tend to go out, run after your your feelings, your your gut response, and your kind of meter, happiness meter, you tend not to be the CEO, or the partner at the law firm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the owner of the business that's grown from nothing to multi million dollar enterprise. So, depending on what you do and how you do it, you can. You can be walking away from money all your life in many respects, and I have. Um, mm-hmm. My ex-husband, who's been a partner in a law firm for many, many years, makes ten times as much money as I do. Mm-hmm. But I don't regret that. Um, but you do have to face the fact that you're, you know, there's a cost to it. Yeah, there's a cost, and mm-hmm. are you really going to be happier? with the consequences of what you do uh, on a very practical level. Me, I am, but 
you know, some people might not be. Um, so you do have to think about that as well. Well, you're talking about your goal, I think, is to be happy. And you're always figuring out, well, how is this going to increase my happiness? And not everybody, you know, not everybody will uh, be saying that that's their primary objective, that they, you know, happy is one thing, but, you know, um, whatever else, staying in the same company or whatever, whatever other things that they might use to uh, consider themselves successful, but you keep coming back to, I want to be happy. I want to be energized. And a few times you said, you know, when I wake up in the morning, when I get out of bed in the morning, and it sounds like that's a, that's a good indication. How excited am I to start my day? Yes, definitely. And on the flip side, I'm sure I have many more sleepless nights than a lot of people who walk the steady path because you take leaps of faith. You mm-hmm. put your name or your money or your reputation on the line. Um, like when I did my first retreat, uh, I was shocked to learn, this is how, much, how little I knew, I was shocked to learn <laughs> that I would have to sign a contract obligating myself to pay for the space and the cost of food and everything else whether mm-hmm. or not I got uh, registrants. And wow. so that was very scary that first year. And I just believed in what I was doing and went ahead and did it. But um, boy, I lost a lot of sleep. <laughs> Is there a way, you know, you're going to have to forgive me because I am a psychotherapist by trade. Is there a way you deal with your anxiety when you're making these leaps and you're saying, yeah, I think it's time to leap? But, you know, this is this is real money. I mean, it's not theoretical here. You would have been responsible for paying back, you know, uh, the the um, what was it, the cabin or the retreat space. How do you deal with that fear? I just drink a lot, you know, (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I I am. I'm a big worksheet person. I mean, I always have an Excel spreadsheet going, um, mm-hmm. and both for the financial aspect and then for the, the timetable of what needs to be done. So um, I, I'm kind of a workaholic. I mean, I guess I am a workaholic, really, and I don't, I don't say that as a good thing. It's, it's, um, it's oftentimes my solution is I just work more. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably where I don't do as good a job as I should on having a life balance. I see. You know, going out and getting fresh air and reading a book instead of writing, uh, you know, content for a website. So, and I've been working on that for the last few years and doing a, a better job too. But um, I don't know. I just, I just carry it with me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I um, probably have a bit of a Pollyanna outlook on life and I simply believe that it will be um, a good outcome because I think it's a damn good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you could say Pollyanna. I mean, I, I would call that confidence. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, yeah, or, or arrogance or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I just, if I think it's a good idea, then I believe it's going to work. And uh, I just work and work at it until it does 
and um, or you know until it's like worked okay but hasn't been fantastically successful and then maybe I go on to the next thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well that's uh, thanks so much for taking us through all of those changes and and how you've really recalibrated so many times over your life. I think a lot of our women listeners are going to appreciate hearing that because I, I hear in my practice people really afraid to make changes. Even if the familiar doesn't feel so good, it's scary to step into something totally new. It, it um, is. And uh, a tiny example of that, and I know we need to wrap this up, but I, I took ballet as an adult when I lived in New York City. I'd never taken as a child, and I I was very afraid to go into my first lesson, and I really, really loved it and ended up working all the way up toward, through the levels of that you can go through as an adult who's not, you know, actually a dancer. Um, but then I quit for 30 years, and I wanted, I really missed it. And my daughter, when I turned 60, said, you know, why don't you go back? Find a good school where you live and go back. And I said, I, I just can't imagine walking into a ballet studio 60 years old, you know. And mm-hmm. and she she kept pushing me, and I finally went. And I can't tell you how nervous I was. I felt ridiculous, you know. I, I remember driving to the school and knowing I was going to go into the class and just feeling so wrong and out of place and unprepared. And it's the best thing I ever did. I've been going ever since, and it's just a wonderful part of my life. So I love that. It's such a beautiful visual, too. It's you know driving there and thinking, what am I thinking? Yeah, I'm an I'm a clown. You know, I just I'm going to look ridiculous, and I'm sure that's. I mean, you can feel that way in so many situations, and Mm -hmm. usually I tell myself the worst is you'll have a really embarrassing hour, and then you don't have to go back. So Mm -hmm. same thing with whatever it is you're trying to do. The worst is it'll be a bad day. Mm -hmm. So what? I don't know, and it will be over. Yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, I love that. I love that. Um, How can people reach you? Oh, yes. I always forget this, and I really appreciate you asking. So (laughs) um, it's pretty simple. You can go to the website, which is Mm womenatwoodstock.com. Okay. And there you will see information on both the writer's retreat and the workshop weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a contact form on there, so if you really want to get in touch with me directly, you can just use that, and I'll get an email, and I'll respond to you. Um, And, yeah, that's about it, just Mm -hmm, mm womenatwoodstock.com. Well, I uh, expect you'll be hearing from some of our listeners because it sounds about as close to heaven as you can get i mean, I just trying to picture the surroundings being with women i think i read on one of your sites no makeup you know just like there's no pretense we're just we're just all there and in, in, in our whole you know warts and all exactly and if you look if you scroll down the page right now i'm working on a new website but right now this kind of old video is up that one of the women who went made afterwards and she called it where the bitch is at (laughs) 
And she said, you know, you go to an event and you expect, you know, some abrasive personalities in any group of people. And she said, there just weren't any. It's just oh. everybody has goodwill. And, uh, yeah, that's mm. what it is. I hope you can experience it someday. I'd love to get your feedback, mm -hmm. especially as a therapist, what you think of Yes. It. Yeah, I mean, one thing that was go, uh, floating around in my mind as you were describing it is, you know, uh, does it ever get kind of close to group therapy and, and, and where you might draw that line? You know, that was uh, something I was curious <laughs> yeah. about. I joke with my daughters that sometimes we've had a really good session because three different women cried. That was really mm -hmm. great. So, mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes it gets... It gets um, very vulnerable and, and um, you know, sharing sharing things that maybe you don't share with other people. Not always. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fun going on too. But right. yeah, sometimes there's that much safe space that those things happen. What a beautiful project. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing oh, so you. much of your wisdom and your, and your vulnerabilities and, you know, how things have worked out for you and, and uh, the changes that you've made, some of them planned and some of them sounds like they were, you know, sort of a surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just really uh, grateful that you've spent this time with us today. I will put the link up in the notes and I expect you will be getting some people contacting you. Well, thank you so much. It was really great to talk with you. I feel like I've had my own little therapy session right now. Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. Please comment, rate me on iTunes, like and share. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. Want more zest? Head over to NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging where you can find out about my online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. See you next time.